0: From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, aspirin and AMD.
1: For late wet AMD, a significant odds ratio of 2.26 was found in daily aspirin users.
0: First this. You're enjoying As Seen From Here, the landmark podcast from the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, launched way back in February of 2005. Why not enjoy some of the other ASCRS offerings, including the ASCRS Symposium in Congress, the meeting to end all meetings in ophthalmology, or the ASCRS Winter Update, where you can meet one-on-one with some of ophthalmology's most important leaders in a beautiful setting. Or see the future of ophthalmology at ISpace MD, the global ophthalmic classroom brought to you by the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. If you're a resident, check out openophthalmology.com, an extensive lecture series on clinical optics. And remember, residents and fellows can join the ASCRS at no cost. But please, don't do any of these things until you've enjoyed this episode of As Seen From Here. Do you tell your AMD patients not to smoke? I do. What about telling them to avoid aspirin? I certainly never thought of asking my AMD patients to discontinue aspirin, even if they were using it prophylactically and unassociated with any particular medical condition. Frankly, it wouldn't have crossed my mind. Aspirin is an anti-inflammatory medication, and inflammation has been implicated as part of the pathogenesis of AMD. True, sure, aspirin is an antithrombotic, and hemorrhages are an important complication of neovascular macular degeneration, but I didn't imagine that the effect could be very significant. Fortunately, Paulos de Young made no such assumption. He's just published results from a study looking at the association, indeed, the increased risk of AMD in aspirin users. Prior to your study, what was known about aspirin and uh, age-related macular degeneration?
1: As you may know, I prefer not to call it uh, age-related macular degeneration, but aging macular disorder. But we will not go into that. The acronym is exactly the same, and we mean the same with it. Um, Before our study, there were quite uh, a lot of controversial case reports about more hemorrhages in late AMD, uh, and um, often these were without a control group, or they were pooling antithrombotics and anticoagulants like warfarin, and um, later on there were some retrospective clinical studies Also, often without a control group, pointing to larger hemorrhages in late AMD. And uh, two case control studies uh, uh, were there. And one found that there was only an association with early AMD. And another study found no association at all. Uh, There were a few uh, population-based studies, one in Finland, in a 70-year-old population and they found no association uh, with AMD and also uh, the incident study in uh, Beaverdam on AMD could not find an association. Uh, I think we should realize that at that time uh, prophylaxis with aspirin was not quite common. For example, we pulled uh, the data from the Beaver Dam study, the Blue Mountain study, and the Rotterdam study, and we could not look at uh, effects of aspirin because less than 2% of the whole population in Rotterdam indicated that they were using aspirin. But uh, then there came a, a later analysis on the ophthalmic data from the from two. Randomized clinical trials, the ph- ph- physician's health study and the women's health study. And from these data, it was suggested that there was an inverse association between aspirin and AMD. So, although it was sig- not significant, they suggested that aspirin might have a protective effect on AMD. And that's why uh, we thought that this paper was important to. To publish, so that future studies could look better at the exact associations
0: now Pallas, from a histochemical standpoint, why might we expect an interaction between aspirin and AMD? Is it only from a, a bleeding standpoint or is there some anti inflammatory role that that you know one might suppose might be playing playing a role too?
1: We speculated on this, and we have No really good explanation why aspirin would be associated with increased AMD. Uh, There are some cues, however. Uh, Aspirin has different actions such as inhibiting COX-1 and COX-2 and thromboxane A2. It also induces the formation of nitric oxygen radicals, thus reducing leukocyte adhesion and this might suppress inflammation and the immune response to infection. We are not sure if there could be an interaction with the complement factor gene products, but COX2 is expressed in the retinal pigment epithelium and its inhibition might reduce the synthesis of prostacyclin a vasodilator, and this might lead to hypoxia and neovascularization. Of course, uh, the, once you have subretinal neovascularizations and these vessels burst, you might get uh, larger hemorrhages due to the antithrombotic, uh, antithrombotic effect. And finally, uh, there is an indication that aspirin disturbs the fine balance and lipid oxidation, and that might also influence the, uh, the generation of subretinal neovascularization, but all these things are rather vague and speculative.
0: Pallas, what question did your study, did this study seek to answer?
1: The primary aim of the study and the baseline data were collected about 10 years ago was to look at the prevalence of AMD in seven countries all located over Europe at different latitudes and to look specifically at associations with lifestyle and, and environmental factors, and more specific on solar radiation and dietary oxidants. And while performing the analysis and looking at the data, by coincidence we, thought we found these data on, uh, on higher associations of AMD with higher aspirin uh, frequency intake.
0: Can I get you to describe the design of the study? And for the purpose of the study, how is AMD graded?
1: Uh, the, the the study was a population-based uh, cross-sectional prevalence study, and uh, people were uh, 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 collected by random sampling of population registers, and most and people had to be sixty-five years or older. It is essentially an observational study. And in all centers, we used a standardized questionnaire. And this was checked during an interview with uh, field workers. And the frequency of aspirin intake was determined with a pre-coded response category of seven options from never to daily. And we pulled these data in never use, monthly or yes, at least once, once weekly, but not daily, and daily use. And we carefully checked for a history of diabetes, angina, heart attack, or stroke. And uh, we made of all uh, participants standardized digitized, um, no, yeah, standardized digitized stereofundus color images, and these were graded in the grading center of the Rotterdam study, where we have experienced graders with 10 uh, 10 years experience. And uh, we used the International Classification System for AMD, and we modified only the the former name Age-Related Maculopathy and Age-Related Macular Disorder, uh, Aging Macular Disorder. And um, uh, AMD was subcoded in five grades, zero with no AMD and no drusen at all. Early AMD, grade 1, to 3, uh, druce and uh, hyperpigmentation and increasing chance of getting late AMD. And grade 4 was late AMD and that is subdivided in the dry and wet late AMD. And when both dry and wet AMD were present, these uh, cases were uh, classified as wet AMD.
0: Palace, what were your results? What were your findings?
1: We had about 4 four. 1700 participants and 36% of them had early AMD and 3.3% had late AMD. So we had 108 uh, people with wet late AMD and about half as many with dry, dry late AMD. And the odds ratios for early AMD rose to 1.27 for grade 1 and daily aspirin users and to 1.40 for grade 2. And for late dry AMD, there was no association with aspirin intake. But for late wet AMD, a significant uh, odds ratio of 2.26 was found in daily aspirin users when we adjusted for all confounders. And uh, the most important confounders were age, gender, education, smoking, body mass index, diabetes mellitus. Cardiovascular disease, cholesterol, and systolic blood pressure.
0: I'm going to to restate some of what you 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 just said, and and correct me if I'm if I'm wrong. Be, because during this um, study period, the prophylactic use of aspirin was was something that was in a in a relative sense not common. There were multiple confounders um, that you that you found that that could have been potential problems for for looking at the at the at the data as you said age cardiovascular problems things like like this but that even when you controlled for these confounders that you still found an increased uh, odds ratio uh, greater than 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 two for late wet AMD in aspirin users
1: that's quite correct uh, one of the most uh... Uh, concerns is that you have confounding by indication if people have to take aspirin because of cardiovascular disease and cardiovascular disease is a risk factor for AMD then you get confounding by indication so we carefully looked at uh, uh, what the uh, odds ratios were for just uh, adjusting for age and gender and then they were 2.6 for daily aspirin users. When we adjusted for age, gender, and cardiovascular disease, the odds ratio went down to 2.22. And when we adjusted for all the confounders I just mentioned, uh, they rose to 2.26, or uh, more or less the same. Uh, we very carefully looked uh, at when we excluded people with known cardiovascular disease, and that didn't make much difference. So although you never can be 100% sure that you looked at all the confounders, we think that uh, we reasonably excluded confounding by indication.
0: Now, staying on the subject of confounders, do you think that the association between aspirin and AMD may simply be related to confounders that you that you haven't recognised. I mean obviously you can only control for for confounders that you that you recognise that you identify.
1: Of course but uh, uh, we have been uh, mo- many of the people who were involved in the study have been in uh, AMD epidemiology for 10 15 years and we more or less have an idea where you could expect the confounders. You never can be sure if in some country, for example, in Greece or Norway, people had very uh, typical uh, eating habits. But in general, given the fact that all these associations were found over all seven countries in Europe, I don't think it is very likely that we uh, overlooked major confounders.
0: Now, does aspirin's anticoagulant effect worsen AMD? Or is, is aspirin having any other sort of deleterious effect other than anticoagulation?
1: I think we uh, might better speak of the antiplatelet effect than the anticoagulative effect of aspirin. Uh, we have no data on this because in order to find that out, you need, would need a prospective study uh, if there are any other effects. Uh, There are some reports in the literature, for example, Cooley reported in 2010 in the American Journal of Ophthalmology in a retrospective study that patients on antiplatelet therapy had much larger subretinal hemorrhages than people without. And Kierman wrote in Retina in the same year on a retrospective cross-sectional study where they pulled, unfortunately, Antiplatelet and anticoagulant uh, drugs uh, that they found the same effect. And there is an important publication in The Lancet in 2009 of the antithrombotic trialist collaboration and they uh, performed a meta-analysis on aspirin for primary and secondary prevention of uh, vascular disease. And they analyzed six primary trials in about 95,000 participants and over 600,000 person-years, and 16 secondary prevention trials, with 70,000 participants and 43,000 person-years. And the aspirin therapy led to an increase in major gastrointestinal or extracranial and even intracranial bleeds. Aspirin prevention was worse, especially in hemorrhagic stroke and they concluded that in primary prevention the reduction in serious vascular effects was 0.5% per year in 51% and in control persons 0.57% and that's a net difference of 0.07% per year and they uh, concluded that uh, the Use of aspirin in primary prevention is of uncertain net value. And with primary prevention, they mean people who just take aspirin to be on the safe side without any history of cardiovascular disease or any elevated risk factors for these things like high blood pressure or high cholesterol. On the other hand, when people had these uh, disorders or had a higher risk factor, then you speak of secondary prevention, and then the conclusion is uh, that uh, that's their conclusion that the, ben- the net effect of secondary prevention outweighs the risks of uh, the side effects. Uh, so, this is not coming from our study, but in combination with that uh, important paper, I would say that uh, you better not take aspirin once you have AMD. Uh, just for primary prevention.
0: That leads into what I I was going to ask next, which is in your own clinical practice palace, are you asking your AMD patients to avoid aspirin and <clears throat> and what about patients who simply have family members with AMD? Do you tell them also to avoid aspirin? No, in the
1: first place you uh the family history of AMD is often not very reliable, so you should be careful with that. But in, in my practice, when I see uh, signs of early AMD or late AMD, I, I, I tell my patients uh, to preferably not use uh, on a regular basis aspirin for pain relief. There are uh, other painkillers, for example, paracetamol that might give uh, fewer risks Oh, and of course, every uh, drug has its side effects. But when they use uh, aspirin for primary prevention, that they better discuss with their uh, general practitioner or their doctor if it is necessary and if they feel that is necessary. If it could not be uh, that prevention could not be better reached, for example, only with this statins. Uh, of course, statins also have some side effects, especially on the muscles, but uh, that's uh, a balance they should discuss with their doctors. And uh, uh, they, once they have had cardiovascular disease or have a definite risk factors for this, I advise them to continue with antiplatelet therapy, but again discuss with their doctor how hard the indication for this uh, prevention is. I think we should stress that this is uh, also a study with uh, some weaknesses. For example, we had no idea about the exact amount of aspirin people were taking. On the other hand, from other studies, you can estimate that the uh, average amount uh, is about 100 to 300 milligrams for people who use it on a regular base. Um, Another thing is that uh, there's a huge amount of aspirin uh, produced every year and and estimates vary between 20 and 60 billion tablets of 300 milligrams and uh, most of it is consumed in the states for prevention. And uh, doctors often are not aware of the -the over-the-counter sales and I think it is good to realize that people become aware that it's not uh, really a safe drug uh, with regard, uh, might not be a safe drug with regard to AMD. And I think we, uh, in any case, uh, we do hope that people in the future designing other case control trials or studies take along uh, from the start an ophthalmic uh, branch on that study to study uh, this effect and to get a better idea uh, if this can be confirmed, and what doses might be uh, uh, have a bad effect or might have no effect uh, with regard to AMD development.
0: Palos de Jong, thank you so much.
1: Thank you. You're welcome, Charles.
0: Palos de Jong comes to us from the Department of Clinical and Molecular Ophthalmogenetics at the Netherlands Institute for Neuroscience in Amsterdam, the Netherlands. His paper... Associations between Aspirin Use and Aging Macula Disorder, the European Eye Study, appears in the January 2012 issue of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. DeYoung or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at jyoungmd@gmail.com, at gmail.com. As seen from here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.